You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Ross Strader. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Hey, I'm glad you're here. We are in a uh, series called A a Better Way, and the Dallas Cowboys are part of that. So I want to make sure you write that down. But A better way, we're talking about, you know, we've looked at wisdom all summer long. We come to an end of that this morning. And then the two different ways the Bible talks about um, life kind of the natural way, sort of our natural instinct, how we drift. And and yet, the Bible over and over speaks about a a better way, um, a supernatural way, uh, a way that actually we were created for in the beginning. And as um, we are saved, uh, come to faith in Christ, um, we are recreated to walk into and live in this better way. And so that's what the Bible um, over and over speaks about. And we've been talking about that in relation to our vision statement as a church. This is what we're pursuing. We're pursuing this better way life, this, um, this life that leads us in the way that God is calling us as believers and not... Uh, drifting into um, a natural way of life, the, the way that we would normally go uh, without the church, without the leadership of the church. And this morning, I want us to see um, specifically um, what it looks like, um, the context of the community of the church, why it is so important that we would live with one another in a way that's um, part of God's design in our redemption. So the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to look at 1 John chapter 4. So the first week we looked at building leaders. Um, I think that's what we looked at. No. Living, I can't remember. Anyways, this morning's growing communities. Uh, 1 John chapter 4. And I'm going to read this whole chapter because 1 John chapter 4 is one of those beautiful chapters. It's a significant chapter. And it's one that periodically we should read into, speak into the life of our church. And so I'm going to read, beginning in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, I'm going to read all the way to the end. And this is the way that John writes, picking up. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many profs, false prophets have gone out into the world. But, this, but by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus, confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world." They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us, and whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God does not know God because God is love. 
In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us by this We know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. It's the word of the Lord. It's John's letter and towards the end of his life or late in his life. And he's writing to believers in Ephesus. And... uh, He wants them to know two things, if you heard it. I mean, certainly he wants them to know about the love of God. He uses that word 15 times in this chapter. He also wants them to know what it means to abide in God, that God, you you abide in God, God abides in you, abide in Christ, Christ abides in you. This abiding, we we abide with God, wants us to know about that. He uses that six times. There's a confession we make. And so John is wanting them to know, listen, there's a thing that that we believe that makes us Christian. But there's also a power to experience and that that's a part of Christianity. Not just knowing or believing the truth about God, but knowing and experiencing the love of God. And that's what John wants for his readers and the Spirit wants for us this morning. And so I'm going to pray to that end and then we'll unpack these verses. Father, we do ask that you would help us this morning, that you would um, make our minds um, open to what your Spirit might do in them, our hearts open to that. I pray, Father, for the words that I say, that they would be honoring to you, they would be uh, truthful uh, with the text. Father, you'd use them to draw us to your Son, Jesus, so that we might not just know more about Him this morning, but experience the power of your love in our lives. We, we ask this, um, Father, and we pray again for our friends and our families and for the 6.5 million people along the coast this morning that, that are uh, um, in, in catastrophe and uh, in need of a assistance and 
many in need of safety this morning, Father. And so we, uh, we pray for them and for the uh, rescue workers and firemen and policemen and for all of those that will care for the many needs that will come their way even today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's hard to believe power. I mean, believe it. Know it until you experience it. You know, I mean, you can, you can read about something, you can understand it, you can say, you know what, I believe something's powerful, it, it, but it's hard to believe it, the power of something, until you experience it. I mean, you can just ask Conor McGregor about Floyd Mayweather's punch this morning, right? Some of you are like, what is he talking about? Well, you go home and Google it. But, you know, Conor McGregor, UFC fighter, he's just, you know, he's a man. I'm just saying, Conor McGregor's a man, Okay stepped into the ring with 40-year-old Floyd Mayweather in his last fight ever. Mayweather's going to end 50-0. and 0. Some of you are still like, is he really going to talk about this? Not for very long. But, but Mayweather's, I mean, you don't want to fight Mayweather, okay? I mean, I'd put, I'd put Fritz against him, but that's about it, all right? And it, he's, just, he's this red-headed Irish guy who just, I mean, he's a, he knows how to fight, Mixed martial arts, UFC, gets in the boxing ring with Floyd Mayweather, and he's sure, he's sure that he is strong enough and powerful enough to beat Mayweather. Mayweather lets him play for about five rounds, and then in the fifth round wakes up and begins to plummet this guy. And the technical knockout in 10 rounds, listen, he, he stayed away. It was like watching the first movie, Rocky movie, you know? I mean, that's the way that it, that it was. He got beat that bad, but... It's hard to believe that kind of power until you experience it. Anybody see the eclipse on Monday? I mean, you've seen a picture. Tell me, if you saw the eclipse on Monday, it wasn't the first time you'd ever seen an eclipse. I mean, you've seen a picture of an eclipse. You've seen news reports about eclipses. I remember telling my kids, so 1979, I was in elementary school when the last eclipse was like in this part of the world, and I was you know, we made a box, and we went out into the, there wasn't news, I mean, I don't know, there was probably news, I guess, back, way back then, but, you know, there wasn't the internet, I mean, you didn't, so, you know, like we read about it in an old textbook that was probably 10 years old, and we made some box, you know, and you looked in the box, and it was, you know, it was like, well, what was it like? It's like, I have no idea, all I remember is Lance Grider, they said, don't, don't look at it, and Lance Grider going, what, you know, and. And uh, so there, you know, you have that. And, but, I mean, Monday, so we went and we went on to the top of the parking garage downtown. And Catherine and I and Leslie were there, and we were looking at it. I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, it's really amazing. And then I was watching this news report, this guy up in the northwest. So they're, they're up there, and there's this reporter, and then she's with this scientist guy. And this scientist guy, I mean, he is a total geek. I mean, he is a nerd for eclipse stuff. You know, and they say, you know, you find out more about the sun They've discovered more about the sun on eclipses than they ever have. This is a great time to say it. So this guy, I mean, you can tell. I mean, this is like his lifelong dreams, never seen anything like this. And there he is. He's going to stand there. And listen, he's read about eclipses. He knows about eclipses. He knows the science of them. He probably wrote a PhD on it. I don't know. So he's standing there with this reporter, and you can see. So the eclipse is coming, and for two minutes in this place, it gets completely dark. And I didn't know this, but when it was completely dark and it's completely covered, they could take their glasses off 
and they turn and they're just looking at the, at the deal because you can see the, the halo around and it's safe to, to look at it. And so she's trying to interview this guy who's experiencing this for the first moment, this scientist, you know, who's, who's having this, this moment of his life. And she said, well, what's it like? And, you know, it's gone completely. He said, I, I mean, I knew I was excited about it. But I never imagined it was going to be like this. I mean, and he's like choked up. I mean, he's emotional about what it is he's experiencing. I mean, the power of the celestial beings, you know, coming into line and, and all that it does. I mean, it's a powerful thing to witness. I mean, just, we've just seen it the last couple of days. I mean, we know about hurricanes. You've read about them. You've seen them. You've seen them on the news. Maybe you've lived south enough that you've been in one. I mean, we know about hurricanes. We have science that tells us about it and radar systems that can warn us. And people say, you know, get out. We know where it's going to land and it's going to be powerful and 130 mile an hour. We know all of this. We can talk about the power. We can even believe that it's powerful. And yet there are still people that will stay right there in the, in the, in where it will land and say, well, I'm, I'm not going to leave. I'm, I'll be okay. I'll just ride it out. You know, so the mayor says, well, Listen, if you're going to do that, would you write your social security number on your arm for us? So when we clean up, it, we'll know who you are. I mean, there's something about, listen, I, I believe it's powerful. But it's not like, it's not knowing it until you experience it. And it's like it doesn't seem real. Well, John wants his readers to know the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done, and experience the power of it. So, so not just what Jesus has done for them, what God has done for us in Christ, there is a thing. God has done something for us, and as Christians we believe that. There's a, there's a Body of information, content to believe, to confess. That's the way John will say it. But there's something also to experience. It's not just something he's done for us. There is something going on in us. That's why he continues to say, look, you abide in God, and God abides in you, and you abide in God, and God abides in you. And Paul will say, you abide in Christ. It's Christ in you, and you in Christ. And there is this power that we just not only believe that took place 2,000 years ago that affects us today, but there is a power going on in us right now, the power of God, because he's given us his spirit. We are in Christ, and Christ is in us. And so we go so much of our Christian life, and we say, look, Christianity is a thing. It's, I believe it. It's a thing to believe. I want to read more books and hear some more sermons and increase my knowledge. And, and those are all fine things. It is something to be believed. And John says, but not only that, something to be experienced now. So how do you do it? How, how, do you, how do you know? How do you know what the power of God in you and the connection that John is going to make in this passage, it actually blows, it blows us away. It, it, it has everything to do with believing and knowing where it intersects is with the love of God. And I want to show this to you. So let's look at verse 13. 
and just see where the argument... So this is sort of the heart of the argument, and then I want to back up and show you two other things. There is this confession um, that he's going to make. So he says, by this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He's given us of His Spirit. So we have, and we, when we believe, when we say, okay, I believe Jesus died for me, that, that what God did through Jesus was for me. I believe that. That's, I believe that to be true. That is faith. And in that, the Spirit of God comes and indwells us. And we looked at Galatians, and Paul will say, it is the Spirit of the Son of God that in our hearts is not just something. So we, we didn't just get a status change. We weren't just moved from death to life. We weren't just ransomed out of slavery. But we were also given the Spirit of sonship so we can cry out with all intimacy, Abba, Father. And he goes on and says, but we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world, and whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He is in God. So, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. So, so we know, we abide in Him, and He abides in us. We have the Spirit. God sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. And whoever confesses Jesus to be the Son of God, God abides in Him. So there's, there's this bit about confession. So there are certain things that as a believer you confess. And he's going to say in the very beginning, you know, uh, the ver- first six verses, the thing, you know, one of the things that has to be confessed as a believer is that Jesus came and was flesh and blood. He, he was fully God and fully man. Flesh and blood. It wasn't just that, you know, hey, uh, Jesus died, but Christ didn't. You know what I mean? So as it goes to the cross, you know, the, the old you know, Gnosticism that they were saying, well, listen, it, you know, God didn't really die. It was the Spirit of Christ left Jesus all alone, and the, and the human died, but the divine didn't. And no, the Bible says, no, no, no. Jesus, flesh and blood, came out of eternity into humanity, united Himself with us in the incarnation, took on flesh and blood. The Creator became part of His creation to become one with us so that we could become one with Him. He lived life as a man no less the Son of God from eternity, but fully a man who lived and breathed and ate and was born and died. And John says, we we believe that. That's critical. One of the other things that we believe, we confess, is that this Jesus is the Son sent by God to be the Savior of the world, the Redeemer, the one the Old Testament looked for, longed for, that one, the the one the Old Testament prophesied about and anticipated, He was Jesus, this flesh and blood Jesus. So we affirm that. And that the Spirit comes in us and we confess that, we confess the incarnation, we confess Jesus having come. We, we confess He is the Son. We know and believe 
God's love for us. One other, you can go to Romans, Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And this, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. It's a quote from Joel, which really means Jesus is Lord is to say Jesus is God. That's what Paul's saying. We believe that. And he died and was raised from the dead. And so that's one part of confession. We as believers are a confessing people. And part of that, John will cover in the very beginning, not only do we confess a belief about God, but we also confess something about ourselves that's intimately tied. If Jesus died for our sins and we confess our sins, those two, we confess He died for sins, we confess that we are sinful. It's the essence of what it means to be a believer, this confession. And it means that we are dependent every day, all the time, from when we wake up to when we go to bed, we live in a dependent relationship upon God. Paul said we live, we move, we have our being in Him. And it means we don't look for other ways to deal with our sin. We don't look for ways independent of what Jesus has done. It's not, it's not I'm going to do better, I'm going to vow this, I'm going to, I'm going to clean up my life. I... I I deal with sin primarily by confessing sin and believing that He's faithful and just to forgive us, forgive me my sin, and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness because of what Jesus has done. That's how the confession works. And so John's speaking to believers. He wants them to just not only be people who confess content about who Jesus is, but he also wants them to be a people who know. Christianity is a truth to believe, absolutely, and it is a reality to experience. Not only the truth of God, but also the love of God. And so what is this love of God? What does it mean to say God loves us, that God is love? Well, the first thing is, when we speak about it, you go all the way to the beginning. It is a love that brought us into existence. In Genesis chapter 2, we find, listen, this, this, you know, the creation story, Genesis 1, Genesis 2. And man, after God has created all that he has created, in his image he creates man and woman and sets them in the center. In his love... We are created to bear His image, to, to reign with Him, to, to be in this intimate, to be called children. We, we were created. We exist, brought into existence out of the love of God. And we rejected it, by the way. Genesis chapter 3, you open it up. God has said, look, don't, everything's yours. It's all yours. Except for this one tree. Trust me on this. Trust. Believe me. Trust me. Don't eat that tree. It's not for you. You'll die. And the story of mankind's fall and rebellion against God is we did not believe what He said. We did not trust Him. We did not believe Him to be good. We believed Him to be holding out on us. And so in our desire to be independent from Him, our desire to be our own gods, we rebelled against Him and then when confronted with the rebellion, because we know he's 
fall. No, we're naked. We cover ourselves up. We don't own sin. Our love for self leads us to the destruction of others so often. So, you know, it comes and says, where did you get the episode? Look, it's not my fault. It's this woman that you created for me. She says, well, it's not my fault. It's this talking serpent. I mean, you know how those can be. We wanted to reign alone. We wanted to be apart from God. It was his love, our love for self. It led to the denial of our sin and the destruction of those around us. So first of all, love is what brought us into existence, and love is what we rejected. And secondly, though, to speak of love, and this is kind of amazing, it is a love that would not let us go. I mean, if you think about the scene, in all of God's creation, in all that He has done, and for man to turn, and to, and to rebel against God in that way. I mean, part of you thinks, well, I can't believe God didn't just scrap the whole deal. You know, the Bible's three pages long. Everybody'd make it through read the Bible in a year, right? Be like, yeah, I did it again. Got through the whole thing in a year, three pages. But he doesn't. Not only is it a love that brought us into existence, it is a love that would not let us go. Look, look, at, look, look at the verses uh, beginning in, in verse 8. Anyone who does not know love does not know God because God is love. You ask any fifth grader in the United States, God is, finish the sentence, God is, and it's God's love. We know this. I mean, we love this verse. God is love. Man, we love it because you know, the Old Testament was bad, and we needed the New Testament. I mean, God was angry in the Old Testament, and Jesus comes in the New Testament, and He fixes the whole deal. And this gets defined all kinds of ways, right? I mean, God is love is the bumper sticker. It's the tip at the end of the spear. This is, listen, you can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me what anything's like. God is love. Don't judge me. I can do whatever I want. It does, God's love. God's love. Except for the fact that if you read the rest of it, John's going to define for us what this love is. What God's love is and what our love is to be. Look at what he says in verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Made visible among us. God wanted us to know what His love looked like. He wanted us to know. Not just that He loved us, but wanted us to know it and experience it. And it is that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. God sent His eternal Son into the world so that we would live. Now, some think, well, listen, he probably, he probably sent Him as an ambassador, probably sent Jesus to come put flesh and blood on so that Jesus can show up and say, look, well, the old, I know, we know, we know, you know, in hindsight, looking back, you, the Old Testament was confusing. Um, so, but I'm here to tell you, God's not mad. 
He loves you. Um, and I'll turn some water to wine and walk on a little water to show you. And, you know, that he comes as an ambassador, as, as good wishes to say, you, you got it all wrong, but this is who really God is. It's like, like the PR manager for God. But that is not why he was sent. We see God's love in the sending of his son, but look at what it says in verse 10. In this is love. This is how John describes it. This is how it is defined. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation, if you have the New International Version, the NIV, it says atoning sacrifice. And that's a great translation. It captures a good part of what propitiation means. And that is, is that Jesus took all of our sin upon himself when he went to the cross. That the Bible says there's no forgiveness of sin without the spilling of blood, without the shedding of blood. And so Jesus takes us, and that's what they would do in the Old Testament, the sacrifice. You would lay your hand on the animal. You would confess your sins. You would be like laying, transferring. You'd be saying, all of my sin now goes upon this animal. And then the priest would sacrifice the animal by shedding the blood. And your guilt is transferred to the animal, and then the animal dies because the wage of sin is death. We are sinners. That has to be dealt with. We would put it on the animal, and the animal would be sacrificed, and the sin would be atoned for. The problem was you'd have to do that over and over and over and over and over again. Jesus came, Hebrews says, to be the final sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, the atonement. And so all the sin goes on Jesus, which means all your sin, the sin of actually who you are, the sin you were born with, your nature, your, your, your old man, your, your sin nature, original sin, that part of your DNA, that goes on him. And all the sins you've ever committed, all the rebellions, all the bad and ill motives, all the blatant things that you say, I know this is wrong, but I don't care, I'm going to do it anyway. All those that you've ever done and all that you ever will do gets laid on Jesus. He becomes sin. All your filth and shame, the things that you lay it in your bed at night and you close your eyes and you think, oh God, I don't ever want to remember that again. And that gets laid on him. And flesh and blood Jesus, who is also fully God, is fully aware of all of it, takes it on him. And then his blood is shed. He dies taking that sin from us once and for all. So propitiation means that, but you know what? It also means something else. It, it means not only did he take all of our sin on himself, it means that in the justice of God, because God is holy and just and righteous, and he cannot overlook our sin, you can't just wink at it and go, well, you know, humans will be humans. Because his holiness and righteousness is offended, and the only response to that is, is wrath. Infinite 
wrath, infinite. Jesus not only became our sin, but as He's nailed to the cross on that Friday, and the clouds go dark, and the sky blackens, and Jesus cries out, My Father, my Father, why hast thou forsaken me? In the full, infinite wrath of God is poured out on Jesus. That's why the night in the garden when, he, when he's praying, take this cup from me, you know, and he's sweating drops like blood and he's in anguish, it's not because he fears being beaten by man. It's that he, he knows the, the cup of wrath that he's about to drink, the infinite wrath of God is poured out on him. And John says in this is if you want to know what love is you look there. That's love. So we stand in awe of the cross. And we believe it. And John says, I want you, to, want you to do more than believe it as something done for you. I want you to know it as something going on in you. Beloved, he says in verse 11, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And, and this is crazy. You think it's God, since God so loved us, we ought, to all, we ought to love God back. That's what you think it ought to say. God loved us, we ought to love God back. God loved us, we also ought to love one another. Because look, verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is, see the word, perfected in us. It comes to life in us. It's not just something He has done for us. It is something He is doing in us, and we experience it. To believe God's love, that's one thing. To know God's love, that's another. And we need both. You, you abide and confess in the way that you confess what God has done. You confess He is doing by loving, responding to His love by loving and this, look, this isn't sappy love. It's not love you grit your teeth and bear. It's not feeling love. It's, it's supernatural love. Because he's given us his spirit, we turn now and love one another. And in the loving of one another, we experience the love of God. It's made perfect in us. What we can't see now becomes visible. You see that? So most of us think, oh, we're individuals. It's me and God. It's my relationship with God. God loves me. I love God. And I and leave everybody else alone. Just don't bother me. I'm having my quiet time. Don't bother me. It's not that. Listen, love God. The way you love God and know his love, experience it, is by loving others. And the power of it gets unleashed. We can know the power. We can see. I've read about the power of it, but now this is how you know the power of it. 
when the supernatural love of God now is flowing out from you. And the invisible God becomes visible. This is what John is saying. And the context we do that in is community. One another, one another, one another, one another. All through the New Testament, that's how we live. So how do we love others? What does it look like? This is one that appeared in a newspaper. Source unknown. So it means probably somebody made it up. But Dearest Jimmy, no words could ever express the great unhappiness I've felt since breaking our engagement. Please say you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart. So please forgive me. I love you. I love you. I love you. Yours forever, Marie. P.S. And congratulations on winning the state lottery. (laughs) That's one kind of love, isn't it? Self-serving love. What am I going to get out of it? How reciprocal is it going to be? You know, we approach it like an economist. If I put in this, what the dividend is going to be back? Is it worth it? Is it worth my time? Am I going to, you know, if I invest in this, am I going to get back? You know, that's not love. I mean, call it anything you want to call it, just don't call it love. That's not love. Nor, so it's not self-interest, it's not self-seeking, it's also not self-righteous. You know, self-righteous, the the Pharisees were so great at this. Look, we know God's love, we've read about it, and we teach it in the synagogue to holy people. But don't bother us. We're too busy following rules. Besides all that, we don't want you to get too close because your life is messy and I'm really working hard at making my life tidy because that's my response to God's love is to tidy up my life, to make it prim and, and proper and, and holy. And your world, your life, your, it's just going to mess things up, man. And I'm not into mess. That's why Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. You know, they're walking by and it's like, well, I'd love to help. I can't help you. I've got to go to church. And church is really important. But if I did help you, then I'd have to take a bath. And I already took a bath. And I don't want to, you know. But the Samaritan, he got it. That's why Jesus told that story, by the way, to the Pharisees. Love is self giving. You know what that means? It means you give yourself away. It means it's not about what's in it for you. It's about seeking the best for another. Seeking somebody else's best. Supernaturally. It's not natural. That's why we're calling it a better way. Supernatural way. You've been doing the others your whole life. That, I mean, that's natural to us. The supernatural way is the giving of ourselves. And you know what that is? That's messy. And it's complicated a lot of times. And it takes sacrifice. And it's risky, you know? It's a lot of risk. Not, gosh, what, what if I get hurt or taken advantage of? or not appreciate it, or it doesn't get reciprocated. Who's going to take care of me? It's risky. It's not white-knuckle 
you know, love, but it's supernatural love that comes out. And he's saying, look, when that begins to flow out, when we begin to say, okay, I see what love is. I see it, and I'm affected by it, and I'm, I'm in response to what Jesus has done. I, I love. Because then the invisible God becomes visible. And it's not just something he has done for me. Now it's something going on in me. I'm in Christ, and Christ is in me, and now I begin to see and feel and understand and know what that means in the middle of somebody else's mess or my mess. As things get complicated, the goal in life is not to end life as least complicated as possible. The goal in life is to love others. C.S. Lewis says, where did the time go? Here it is. Two things. I'm done, all right? C.S. Lewis. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. Right? If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. It's so funny he says that. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all safe. Uh, avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin or your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. It's insightful. When I was in seminary, I... Um, videoed weddings. And I was the videographer. I would put a mic on the groom and uh, had two cameras, usually one set up on the stage and one in the way back. And I was on one of the other cameras and I always had the earpiece in and I could hear everything that the groom was saying. And so some of it would end up on the recorder, some of it wouldn't, you know, as you obviously might imagine. And, um, but there was always this awkward moment. And so it still happens in weddings today, although I, I'm seeing as I, as I have done weddings in the last few years, it goes away, but there was a candle lighting moment. Anybody have candle lighting in your wedding where you go up, bride and groom, you light the candle, it takes 15 seconds, but then there's this three-minute cheesy wedding song that's being sung in the background? And it's the most awkward moment of a wedding because you're standing there, and it's like, wow, we didn't think about this. What are we supposed to do? So inevitably, the groom begins to talk to the bride, you know? He just can't help, he can't help himself. Or the bride talks to the groom, you know, whatever. But somebody begins a conversation. And so it's just the bride and the groom and the videographer. <laughs> and if you want to know true love in a marriage, I'd say this. It's at the beginning and it's at the very end. I mean, if you want to snapshot it. And the groom stands there and it, I mean, the weight of it begins to sink in and, it, you know, what's happening. And usually the groom, he'll rise right to the occasion, you know. He's gotten a haircut. He's ready for the whole deal. And he's strong and attentive. And he, you know, in the next several years, both of them are going to wonder, where did that person go? When are they coming back? You know, a love that doesn't seek its own. When's that going to happen again? Love that resembles laying down your life. When's that going to happen again? There's another love that resembles that. It's far less explainable. It's a love you see at the end of one's life. 
So my wife's grandmother, she knew that kind of love, Mimi. In her 70s, she suffered some strokes, series of strokes, and never fully recovered. By the time I met Mimi, she was already, um, she'd suffered the strokes. I mean, she was small of stature. She was delighted, a delight to be with. She was so sweet. Um, been totally dependent on Pops for every moment of her day. He'd wake early, he'd dress her, he'd bathe her, he'd fix her breakfast, he'd wipe her mouth. He'd attend to her needs in the morning and all through the day, and he'd ready her for bed. He'd make sure that, you know, she'd, she'd get to sleep. In many ways, he gave her life. He extended her life. He gave her dignity and quality, and let me tell you, he loved her. Oh, he loved her. And it was overwhelming to see. For, for the last eight years, he'd care for every need, and he did all that while he was in his 80s. The last year and a half of her life, she spent in a nursing home. She um, became, he used to care for her at home, care for her as long as he could. She couldn't anymore. She needed full-time medical care. Sold the house and moved into a nursing home. She moved into the constant care medical center. He moved into an apartment on the grounds. And it didn't change his routine at all. Every morning, he'd get up early, he'd fix breakfast, and he'd be in her room before she woke. And every morning, she'd wake up to a man she'd been married to for 60 years, and every morning he'd have to reintroduce himself. All the years were gone from her mind, and he was no more familiar than the doctors or nurses or janitors, but his love never waned. In fact, it grew. And in fact, out of concern for Pops, everybody said, Pops, you ought to get a hobby. I mean, you ought to, there's everybody going to take care of him. Won't you get out and go do something? He wouldn't. He'd say, she's a delight to be with. And sickness and frailty and inconvenience, he loved her and he cared for her. And I remember as a young man thinking, man, it's hard to describe what I see. And if I'm going to marry his granddaughter, that's, that's, I don't know how I could live up to that. My wife wrote these words um, for his funeral, which in fact was 11 years ago. Brilliant, gentle, kind, talented, creative elegant, knowledgeable, a presence, interested, sweet, a real gentleman, loving. Hard to catch. 93 years, just a breath. It was supernatural. He loved the Lord. And he knew what it was. He knew the power of the, of the what it was to abide, to, to be in Christ and Christ in him. And I think he felt it most acutely and given his life away. Listen, as a church, growing communities, building leaders, living generously, we want to be people who give our lives away. We want to be people who not just know the facts of our faith, not just believe some content. We want to experience, experience the love of God power of it. And we do that with each other, and we do it in context of groups and Bible studies, and so we want you to be in a, in a group. We want you to be with others. We want you to be known and know others. And we want to make the way for that. In a couple of weeks, we're going to sign up for life groups. If you're not in a life group, we want to make a way for you. We want to find the right spot for you, I'll put you in a place where you have an opportunity to live out one another's, to, to not only know what believe what you know, but to know what you believe. The power of it as we give our lives away to each other. And all the messy, complicated, risky ways.
Where's God pushing you to this morning? What have you been ignoring, staying away from, not wanting to get involved in? But you hear him saying this morning, you know what? I got to do that. I want you to push into that so you can know and experience even more his love for you as you turn and pour that out to another. If you would pray with me. Father, we, we ask, thank you for this word. We thank you for.